Hold on. <laughs> it's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Maybe real. you haven't been following. Maybe I haven't been following. We should talk about something completely different. No, we do. We do need to talk about. It's Friday, November 19th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and victim of cultural appropriation. And with me today uh, are Gordon Derrick, contributing editor at Dutch News and local party local connoisseur, and Robin Pasco, editor-in-chief of Dutch News and Pyromaniac. Uh, yeah, Robin, uh, we're happy that you're back on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But what do you mean setting on fire, Robin? Well, I yeah. haven't been setting anything on fire, but I like... I like. You want to. <laughs> I don't want to, but I'm sort of fascinated by to. fire and fireworks. So, you know, the build-up to New Year and the the fact that they keep seizing record amounts of illegal fireworks and the sort of start to the annual mayhem is, is always a kind of interesting time of year for me. Let's let's leave it at that. Okay, mm. yeah, we're going to hear more about fireworks later on the podcast. Yeah, there will be lots can, of fireworks uh, on this podcast, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, most yeah, of yeah. them have been banned. But there was so much news this week, wasn't there? I, I thought at, at Wednesday morning, I thought this news just gotta gotta need to stop because yeah. otherwise we just we don't have enough time on the podcast to cover everything. And luckily, I think yesterday on Thursday, uh, it, it 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 quieted a little bit down. A little so, bit, yeah. Uh, a little bit, yeah. So uh, yeah, but we we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, stuff to talk about uh, on this uh, on this uh, week's episode. Yeah. Uh, and also, we had a complaint that we uh, by one of our listeners that we uh, keep talking about, uh, keep saying that we do not have any formation news. Yes. Um, but luckily, I can finally say, I can finally announce that we do have some news, even though nothing is official yet, but yeah. we do have some news. But there is some exciting formation news. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, elections, we've, we are still in the aftermath of the last elections, but there are new elections coming up in March, the uh, uh, municipality elections. Yeah. And you've been uh, following uh, following the all the local parties very closely haven't you <laughs> well to be perfectly honest i haven't uh, but somebody yeah. else has uh, on yeah. on my behalf uh, so, so just want to give a shout out to uh, mirta vestrick who has uh, done a very long twitter thread which is well worth looking at even if you don't speak dutch because it's mainly visual and she's just been looking at all the logos for all the little local parties because if you're not yeah. familiar with dutch local politics there is this whole plethora of Uh, local parties, uh, many of which are actually in government that you can vote for in your municipality. And of course, that means they all have a party name and a logo and a pamphlet, and it's all sort of done in this rather charming innocence of uh, amateurish, uh, I don't know, kind of um, uh, Adobe Illustrator uh, <laughs> logos. And Graphic design out. is my passion. Yes, exactly. And so she's picked out, well, I say she's picked out, she's actually gone through every single... Yeah. Um, Local party, every single municipality, yeah. every single little local party from A to Z, and um, just kind of commenters and all them, and the results are quite, quite startling. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to begin, really. It's it's just a thing you have to kind of sift through and look at all the kind of different uh, typefaces, um, the, the some of the logos. Some of them are quite kind of uh, simple and charming. Others, I think, people have sort of discovered some new piece of software yeah. and just yeah. gone bananas with it. I think there's one I picked up particularly. There's uh, Uh, a party called Belongen Alkmaar Samenleving. If you've obviously discovered this way, you can do 3D lettering. So yeah. <laughs> so they've done that. It sort of looks like, sort of like yeah. a big 
um, brick container or something, and they sort of stuck the uh, the logo of Alkma, which is uh, like uh, like a portcullis gateway, um, on the side yeah. of it. It's it's it's, 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 it's word art hell. Isn't it is it? It's word art hell. Exactly, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah you will yeah, dive into yeah. a rabbit hole where you'll just find these co- and, and there's lots of clashing colours as well. Lots of like blues and yellows and things that should never yeah. go. Someone else, <laughs> particle new Elan in Elfland Divine, who basically just blatantly copied the Feifei Day's weird habit of having blue text with uh, <laughs> with red with red underline. <laughs> which I've never got, I don't, but uh, they seem to, it seems to be a go for them. So. Yeah, it's uh, we, we will definitely link to uh, to that th- Twitter thread, and if you have yeah. uh, some time, uh, some uh, 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 spare time, you can uh, um, scroll through it. But yeah. uh, I just want to mention as well, I'm, I'm literally just scrolling through it as I talk. There's a, there's a Partei van der Ouderen, uh, so the party for the, the older people in Amsterdam. For some reason, it's a heart with the Amsterdam logo, but the heart <laughs> is kind of blurred, like the heart's kind of shaky, or there's some you know, there's something not quite right with it. I think you know whoever designed that should probably go and see their. Uh, exactly yeah yeah excellent uh, twitter thread yeah Yeah. um yeah and i was the victim of uh, cultural appropriation because i learned that in uh, disneyland paris uh, they are now offering uh poffertjes and what was the other thing bitterballen wow yeah, so they uh, they even bu- uh, built a uh, windmill-shaped restaurant where they're going to sell it. So uh, I feel like uh, uh, I, I feel culturally appropriated yeah. now because I think uh, I don't allow any other place than the Netherlands where you can buy uh, poffertjes or bitterballen. I think that's just so the most important part of our culture, isn't it? So uh, yeah, it's, well, you've uh, got your work cut out if you want to stop that because it's all over the world. You know, is it? I mean, it's amazing it's taken disneyland uh, paris so long to catch up with the trend I has mean, it oh, okay. everywhere oh i never never saw that where can you can you buy it in the uk somewhere oh, in america there's, yeah. there's the specialist stroopwafel they have their own version of stroopwafels they're the symbol of one american college football team <laughs> really you know i mean no seriously i mean you know the netherlands has been you know exporting stroopwafels bitter baller now catching on i mean all over the world. You, I when I lived in London twenty years ago, you could get bitterballer in our local pub. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was completely unaware of that. I there thought, you go. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You see, your culture has been appropriated uh, long of ago. Long ago. Yeah. yeah. It's been ripped <laughs> out from under your feet, Paul. Yeah. 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 I, I yeah. noticed nobody oh. has taken up fricadels yet, and uh, <laughs> or or, or, or cassoufles. Those horrors are yet yeah. to come. You but. can buy those, but but usually on uh, on the Mediterranean coast. Yeah. Uh, especially on in a these, Dutch bar, in yeah. a Dutch bar, yeah, Friet, uh, Friet no van Piet stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, I knew that you can buy them there, but I just wasn't aware that uh, in normal places you could buy them yeah. as well. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the logical extension, isn't it, of you know the Disneyfication of Amsterdam? You know, yeah, it's now yeah. gone the other way. It just uh, makes be- perfect sense. Really. Because I saw they are selling the puffertjes in Disneyland with Nutella. So yeah, it's all. Uh, oh. it, it, it's all it, around it, the circle. Yeah. It's all. Yeah, it's that's that's typically Amsterdam uh, right now yeah so uh, yeah I'm just yeah. flabbergasted that the French appropriated Dutch cuisine I mean why would you do that, that it's sounds... the Americans right uh, I yeah, think course, uh, Disneyland yeah. is is American soil yeah yeah, I was going to say that's like the equivalent of the Dutch uh, getting British people to come over and surface their roads. You know, I mean, why, would, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> why would you do that? Yeah. Our local, yeah. our local uh, cafe has got Sunday roast on Sunday. If you want to join me there, nineteen euros fifty. The Ooh. full works: roast potatoes, uh, 
uh, you know, Yorkshire pudding. It's all on. It sounds very bar. delicious. Yeah. Dutch, typical yeah. Dutch bar. There you go. Um, but Paul, we've, um, so, yeah, we'll move on to the uh, uh, op of the week. And really, I mean, in a couple of weeks, we're supposed to have the op of the year awards. But yeah, I feel, and we've got exciting news about that, which maybe we'll uh, leave for next week. But I kind of think we need to cancel them because, I mean, it's been won, hasn't it? But I mean, this week's op cannot be topped. You think so? so? I, okay. I, 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 can't ima- I can't think of anything that would be more op than what's hmm. happened this week. So, 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 so take us straight into what is this week's op of the week? It's uh, all about uh, Hugo de Jonge. He's responsible for this week's uh, ophef. Uh, because after the latest issue of women's magazine uh, Linda came out, it appeared that the cover uh, shows a group of Dutch celebrities, such as Linda de Mol and Leontine Borsato, wearing uh, gala outfits. And among them, in a shiny black tie dinner suit, is none other than the health minister himself. Uh, the photo sparked a lot of criticism and laughter on the internet. Many people felt it wasn't appropriate for the minister to behave like a movie star and appear on on glamorous cover photos, given how bad things are going with the pandemic right now. Mm. And also on the cover was Interior Minister Kaisa Olongren, who didn't receive as much criticism as her colleague, even though uh, she too seemed to have enough on her plate. For example, uh, the housing crisis, uh, just a little example here. Uh, Hugo's cover photo also gave flashbacks to last year's holiday period, when one couldn't open a newspaper, turn on a TV or read a magazine without seeing an interview with the Jonge, for example, playing the piano or showing his favorite spots in Rotterdam on a bike uh, and all while the number of infections were skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, my favourite uh, one was the interview uh, with Hugo de Jong at home and he was uh, sitting in front of his piano but the music on the yeah. stand was upside down. So it just had like sheet music um, on the yeah, yeah. Uh, on the piano, and it was just clearly yeah. staged because you know. It yeah, w- it was clearly <laughs> staged. Yeah, and you have the little uh, Christmas tree on the background. Yeah, and um, yeah, lots of eyebrows were naturally raised about his uh, frequent and uh, trivial media appearances back then. And yeah, it appears that he uh, didn't uh, learn from it. So um, yeah, he's uh, kind of making the same mistake. And what I clearly want, what I find very mysterious, and I just can't comprehend, is that. You know, often you hear journalists complain that ministers and other politicians have so many spin doctors around them that Mm. they can never really ask a question because there's always a spin doctor around, uh, uh, you know, doing the the answering for him. Uh, But all these PR people and all these advisors uh, seem to completely miss how these sort of appearances uh, are felt in in society, that, that it's just so... I just can't uh, understand that they that yeah. they don't advise him not to do this. Or the other explanation is that he just can't uh, help himself. He can't and stop just, himself. Uh, yeah. He can't stop himself and yeah. say uh, he keeps saying yes to all these. Yeah. Um, to be fair, this photo was actually taken in like end of September, early October. I don't mind about that. So things weren't so bad then. But sure, that's that's always what they are saying. But I mean, you know that we're still in a pandemic. You know that it's still. Uh, going on. This was the exact same um, uh, defense that they said last time, uh, you know, in, in December when he kept appearing in all these uh, uh, in all these interviews. Um, learn from that. Know that, you know, in a couple of months' time, things can go really bad and then the optics are terrible. Yeah. Uh, and they don't seem to learn from that as well. So uh, <laughs> either way, um, they should... Uh, they should learn from their mistakes. I, I don't think it's such a bad thing. I think the worst... It's, Kasia Alongren is the worst one. Because she's Why? got this really stupid quote there saying, you know, what if it had been in a mapia? You know, yeah, okay, she looks but, but, a real idiot with that. Uh, did Hugo's quote not say something like, uh, I feel safest at home? 
which of course yeah. is uh, yeah. Yeah, which is like, you know... We just are getting now. the message across, stay home <laughs> unless you have to, you know, <laughs> so The last few home. months has been the exact opposite, hasn't it? He's just saying, uh, let's not have masks, okay. let's not have distancing, let's all just, uh, yeah, abandon all the rules. Anyway, it's yeah. almost like the, the government is, is has some kind of, finds it difficult to learn from previous mistakes. And, uh, yeah, exactly. With that in yeah. mind, I suppose we should go straight to the summary of this week's news. I think so too, yeah, because this week uh, infection numbers skyrocketed again and the Netherlands is moving closer to a 2G system. We actually do have uh, formation news, as I already said, and uh, two FVD MPs clashed with the rest of Parliament. The Netherlands is abandoned by not one, but by two beloved inhabitants. Princess Amalia turns 18, and why on earth was Louis van Gaal managing Oranje in a wheelchair? 23,680. That was the number of coronavirus infections posted on Thursday, a jump of more than 7,000 from the figure last Thursday, which Mark Rutter cited in his press conference. I think um, we've actually almost doubled uh, the, the record from last year now, uh, in the last week. Yeah, it was, yeah, because the, the last record was just slightly over 10,000, I think. Th- th- it was 13,000 13, or something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I mean, th- th- to be fair, Thursday's numbers have included some numbers that were um, from... Uh, previous days because we've had more technical issues with the processing of the data so it's again? slightly in- again yeah uh, <laughs> over a couple of days this time uh, so it's slightly inflated but even so we, we are getting we've had over 20,000 infections for the last three days now um, so yeah, not good insane. and uh, that yeah. testing stations have now hit maximum capacity uh, I think 20% of all tests are positive the GGD Health Service asked people earlier this week to stop phoning the hotline and don't put it on your speed dial either because there's just no slots left um, and yeah, as I say, one in five tests are now positive. So if you haven't got the virus before you go for a test, there's a fairly good chance you'll pick it up when you're there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the biggest rise in infections is in children, according to the IFM's weekly Tuesday bulletin. Uh, that recorded an 85% increase since the last week in five to nine-year-olds and a 76% rise in the 10 to 14 age group. And so uh, the OMT, uh, the outbreak management team, are now being asked uh, to, to look at whether um, uh, the schools uh, should extend the Christmas holiday. I don't know whether that's for the week before or the week after Christmas, but the week before Christmas would seem to be sensible. And uh, certainly experts like Karol Ili, who's chairman of the Association for Pediatric Medicine, uh, have suggested extending the holiday uh, just to try to uh, break the chain and uh, bring infections down. Oh, that'll make uh, some parents' days, won't it? Yeah. Um, but what's the situation in the hospitals? Because that's the real bottom line. It is, yeah. And uh, that that's not looking good either. On Thursday, there were 2,110 people being treated in the hospital, uh, 413 of those in intensive care, and both those numbers are going up by about 25% a week, uh, which means if that keeps up, uh, they'll double in about three weeks. And uh, obviously that takes us into areas we've never been before. I think uh, the record's just under 3,000 people in hospital. Uh, Twelve hospitals said this week they need to postpone critical scheduled care. Um, That's operations that are scheduled, but uh, pretty urgent. They need to be carried out within six weeks. It's things like operations for bowel cancer, which already has one of the lowest cancer survival rates. A small glimmer of good news is that Germany has said it will be able to take in a small number of Dutch intensive care patients, uh, but not as many as during the first wave, uh, because uh, guess what? Germany's got a pandemic as well, and their cases are rising pretty fast. Hmm. Um, but there's more good news because the booster vaccines have started, finally, right? Not yeah. in a symbolic fashion. No, no. On Thursday, Hugo de Jonge donned his most symbolic pair of shoes, strode <laughs> up to a symbolically closed hospital, and watched the first symbolic booster vaccine go into the arm of a 90-year-old woman. Without wearing a face mask. 
Hugo was not wearing a face. Well, he did when he went into the hospital, but then when he yeah. gave his interviews afterwards, he, he took it off. Um, yeah. So Strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, NOS symbolically illustrated its story with a picture of another woman who was wearing her face mask <laughs> under her nose, which are uh, probably the, 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 most icon- the most iconic picture of this pandemic so far, I think. Uh, uh, no, the most iconic picture of this pandemic was Hugo de Jonge getting his vaccine with a sign uh, in the background saying no photos. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's that as well. Uh, yeah, so the boosters have begun uh, two weeks earlier than originally planned. Um, meanwhile, I, I, I keep speaking to people in the UK uh, who are in the like uh, early 50s now who are getting their booster vaccines so um, we're about the last country in Europe I think to start giving third doses around 875,000 people over 80 are due to get a third jab by the end of December along with 700,000 healthcare workers and in January the scheme will be rolled out to the over 60s if we haven't all caught it over Christmas of yeah course. yeah hmm. okay but you know what about the 2G because this is an issue that a lot of people have a lot of concerns about. Yeah, this is the one that everyone's talking about. Uh, should we move to 2G, which uh, means that you you can't get into a restaurant or a bar with a negative coronavirus test anymore. You have to be either vaccinated or recovered from infection. Um, they've been talking about it in Parliament. There was a debate that went until 2 in the morning, I think on Tuesday. Uh, none of the parties are really that happy with the idea, but they all kind of grudgingly shuffle their feet and say we're probably going to have to do it. Um, meanwhile, experts say that 2G isn't really an option anymore because there's just too many infections and it's not a watertight <laughs> system. So we kind of passed the point at that point, really. Um, and incidentally, it also seems to have prompted a wave of uh, people uh, now trying to actually stage infection parties and go around each other's houses and breathe into face masks um, to try and catch the virus because then once you've tested positive and recovered, um, you... Uh, uh, if only there was an easier, more safe way yeah. to 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 get the same result. Yeah, to and get, get us get get us get us uh, get us immune as possible for the actual virus. I mean, yeah. come on, we we've reached uh, as a society <laughs> levels stu- of stupidity that I've never could have imagined that we <laughs> that we would get. I mean, this is just insane. There are even web shops where you can buy a a, a corona infection yeah. kit. Yeah, I think just keep need to saying, to keep telling people the vaccine is free. People, yeah, it, it exactly. costs you a phone call, and that's it. Yeah, and, the, the, and not even that. The, <laughs> the, the phone number is a zero eight hundred number, yeah. so it's 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 so it's free. And also, there were there were uh, uh, you could buy fake um, uh, QR codes, couldn't you, for three hundred, four hundred euros? And people yeah. just bought them, in, and they'd rather spend four hundred euros on that than get an actual. Uh, vaccine that actually, you know, helps not as good as we expected, but at least it ha- it, it it helps you from from getting infected and it and it prevents you from 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 uh, ending up in the intensive care. Yeah, that's a crucial thing. It actually stops you getting sick. Whereas if you get the infection, by definition, you will get ill. You will and get sick. You don't yeah. know how ill you're going to get. And um, yeah, so yeah, a vaccine, a recovery certificate is all very good, but it does kind of um, presuppose that you're going to survive, which. Um, yeah. Not everybody does, because as we know, I think uh, we saw 800 excess deaths this week, um, which uh, the, the reported by the uh, by the statistics agency CBS. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, we, are, we clearly have an issue again with uh, too many people dying. We want to reduce that. But, you know, if you're talking of stupidity, I mean, what about this story about Spain? Gordon. I mean, this is completely mad with these Dutch tourists. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. Um, the 14 Dutch tourists are on the run in the province of Extremadura after they fled their holiday home uh, because six of them <laughs> tested positive for coronavirus. I think one of them fell ill, took a test, and then they all uh, took tests. And yeah, another five out of the 14 turned out to have the virus. 
But um, rather than just uh, sit out the rest of their stay in sunny Spain in what looks like quite a nice, um, you know, it's a medieval house, by the way, um, they, they ran away. And so the Spanish authorities issued an international warrant and broadcast an appeal on national television uh, oh, to try wow. and catch them. It all kind of sounds like the start of a straight-to-Netflix version of the A-Team, really. Yeah. But the Spaniards, uh, understandably, don't see the funny side. Uh, the mayor of Navas del Maronio, uh, Manuel Maron, said they committed a crime against public health, and if they're caught, they face fines of between 3,000 and 60,000 for breaking quarantine rules. And of course, Spain has one of the lowest rates of coronavirus infection at the moment, so they're pretty upset that uh, the Dutch have, these Dutch people have turned up and spread the virus and run away. Yeah, the contrast... Uh between how serious other countries are taking the pandemic and the Netherlands is uh, is quite uh, remarkable Staggering. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, this could be. I think you're right. This could uh, could become a, a a Netflix series indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe when the pandemic is over, we can. Uh, when everything is calmed down, we can uh, we can start with that. <laughs> Politics news now, and we start with the cabinet formation. And for once, I can say there's actually some news about that. Uh, on Wednesday, the Volkskrant revealed that VVD and CDA had drafted a coalition agreement in September, uh, according to documents that were found abandoned on a train and which were forwarded to the newspaper by a reader. Uh, the draft agreement was drawn up in September, while the formation talks seemed to be uh, deadlocked, and informateur Johan Remkes was exploring a minority coalition of VVD and CDA, and possibly with Deze successor. And the Volkskrant uh, writes that the document was clearly meant to bring Deze successor back on board, because it showed a lot of overlap with uh, that other draft agreement written by VVD leader Mark Rutte and Deze successor leader Sigrid Kaag in the summer. That agreement was published uh, by the two parties, uh, but the one found on the train was kept Secret. The leader of the ChristenUnie and one of the negotiators, Gert-Jan Segers, admitted on Twitter that he was responsible for the leak and that he had accidentally left the document on the train home. I am only human and I've done something very stupid, he wrote. Oh. Anonymous insiders have indicated the document plays an important role in the negotiations, while Rutte and Remkes told journalists the agreement was outdated. It was nice to see a Protestant uh, going in for confession as well. That was quite <laughs> refreshing, I thought. So what was in it? Was it that scandalous? Um, depends on who you ask. I saw a lot of um, right-wing VVDers, uh, the, the, um, the conservative uh, wing of the VVD. Uh, they were not very happy with it, but uh, I don't think in general uh, uh, it, 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 it was that scandalous. VVD and CDA uh, wrote in the agreement that they are willing to show their most progressive sides to convince a successor to, uh, to come back on board. Uh, for example, the plans included speeding up the reduction of CO2 emissions from 49 to 55% by 2030 uh, and they were planning to allocate 14 to 19 billion euros to cutting nitrogen emissions to comply with a council of state ruling based on eu conservation rules the money would be spent on buying out highly polluting farmers or help them move their businesses to uh, madaka uh, sorry flavorland <laughs> um, another proposal uh, included the reform of the education system one of these assessors main priorities uh, those uh, plans included longer school days more support with homework and free or sub like the nursery care. Uh, insiders, uh, yes, other insiders say the document does not play a leading role in the coalition uh, talks. Uh, sometimes the negotiators refer to the document, but it never served as a starting point for the negotiations, uh, according to them. Mm. Um, the most concrete plans seem to be on migration um, in that annex that was also uh, among the documents on the train. Uh, and this was written during the actual talks, so uh, this was ex 
actually uh, uh, a result of negotiations. Uh, and these plans say that more migration from both inside and outside the EU would be allowed, and the quota for the most vulnerable asylum seekers would be raised. And uh, yeah, this is also one of the um, topics that raised eyebrows among the, uh, the conservative wing of the VVD, for example. Yeah, and another thing that Desa Zestig were very keen on in their election manifesto, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, a more exactly. generous asylum settlement and quite a departure from the rhetoric we've heard from the Fefe Day in the last few election campaigns where they're talking yeah. about tightening migration, uh, not having uh, what they, this Anzaghende working or, you know, um, uh, <laughs> How what do you go with? There, there is an English <laughs> phrase and I've forgotten what it is. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the not having strong pull factors for migration. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and trying to, and then having them like have, making them process their claims outside uh, of Europe, and then only come in once it's been granted. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, um, uh, buying out farmers, for example, I would think that that you would think that that would um, uh, uh, spark a lot of anger among CDA supporters. But I think most of the people who will get angry about that are already left the um, city well, are, they, so are, are, yeah. are they more angry about being bought out or being asked to move to Flavorland? I mean, <laughs> which is the worst fate there? And hard to tell, hard yeah. to tell. And uh, so, so did anything else happen this week in The Hague? No, not much. Uh, just an MP threatened another one, mm. so nothing special. Um, yeah, every day MP Pepijn van Houwelingen disrupted the debate on the budget of the Foreign Affairs Ministry this week. He threatened uh, D66 MP Sjoerd Sjoerdsma. Van Houwelingen told Sjoerdsma that he had committed crimes and that his time will come and that there will be tribunals. Uh, the FVD MP made his threats when asked to distance himself from the party leader Thierry Boutet, who wrote this weekend that unvaccinated people are treated the same as Jews in Germany in the years preceding World War II. Uh, Van Houweling refused to take back his remarks, and uh, it wasn't uh, the only time uh, this week that an FVD MP caused outrage. On Tuesday, Volt MP Nilufer Gunogan said that she and her mother are overwhelmed with hate mail and threats, especially from supporters of the DENK and the FVD parties. Uh, DENK MP Tunan Kuzu apologized, but FVD MP Gideon van Meijeren said he was enormously proud of all the efforts his party supporters were putting into making Gunogan change her views on coronavirus so yeah that was also an incident that raised a lot of eyebrows and a lot of people are uh, asking uh, Tweede Kamer Chair Vera Bergkamp to step in and to take action against uh, these sort of behaviors by MPs but the problem is uh, yeah freedom of expression is also a democratic right and um, do you really want to silence MPs for what yes, they're saying? Yes you do and yeah. she was really weak yeah. and ineffectual I felt I don't think uh, Arab would have let them get away with that. And you do have to take a stand. Yeah, I, I totally because agree. These guys just do it deliberately to stir to stir up trouble and they're going right. to get the headlines, which we're all giving them. Mm. Uh, and, and somebody has to actually say, you shut up or you're out. Mm. And yeah. it was an interesting contrast with watching the Speaker in the British House of Parliament this week, where he basically said to Boris Johnson, shut up, I'm in charge, you might be the Prime Minister, but this is my rules. And that was kind of impressive compared to her kind of wishy-washy, be quiet. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I thought she was crap. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think Arib would certainly not have stood for it. 
Um, and like I say, there is freedom of expression. There should be a lot, a lot of scope for MPs to to have heated debates. But this is a this is a clear situation of one of somebody poisoning the well and just you know trying to completely distort the debate and use threatening language. And I think you know, these kind of offences in the Parliament need to be dealt with in Parliament. I'm not yeah. for a minute thinking that you know you should take MPs to court for what they say. In the in the chamber, they should have the freedom. It's not they even allowed. It's not no, even allowed. It never, never should be. But uh, yeah. they have the freedom to say what they like. But at the same time, there is a referee there. There's a there's a chair, yeah. and there are standards to be upheld. And this was yeah. a, a clear breach of those standards. And yeah, the the the, the, the fair backcamp should have been much firmer. Yeah, and at some point, uh, comments by MPs damage uh, the parliamentary proceedings yeah. and um, um, also uh, democratic principles um, are damaged as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, whenever that is the case, uh, someone needs to step up. And that is the chair, of course. She is elected for this and to keep order and to upheld the standards that, uh, that we have in parliament. So, yeah, I do think that she needs to stand up. The problem is, how can you uh, do that? Yeah. Well, you can have sanctions. Can you can, right? Yeah, you can eject it. Well, yeah, they have sanctions that they can, they can use against MPs. You can stop the debate. You can, uh, you can take away or suspend their right to, to speak in that particular debate. She needs to use yeah. the powers that she has. And um, Yeah, hopefully she will use Yeah, and I think a lot of the talk afterwards was about you know, this being uh, a threat towards these two MPs uh, individually. But I think, you know, never mind, they, they, can stay, they can speak for themselves. But this is actually an attack on the foundations of democracy if you let that yeah. kind of talk get into your part circulate in your parliament so it needs to be yeah it needs to be snuffed out i fully agree there is uh, of course other big things happening this week and that was the big shock of shell if you uh, shell remember, shock. cast your minds yeah. back to Monday. Yeah, it well, seems I like just, a month I just, ago. I was, I was thinking on Wednesday morning when the news about uh, Gertjan Segers, uh, you know, uh, uh, leaking this document uh, accidentally. I was thinking, yes, yeah, Shell. That was just two days ago. I, <laughs> it felt <laughs> like it was months and months ago. Yeah, indeed, but it was only two days ago. No, it's extraordinary. I, I mean, well, what's happening basically? It's Shell is becoming to uh, is planning to become a completely British company. And we'll ask Ooh. its shareholders next month to approve moving its headquarters from The Hague to Britain. The surprise move, the company says, is aimed at simplifying its structure. It will be able to react more quickly and more flexibly. And of course, that means it makes it simpler to pay shareholders their dues. Now, Shell's <laughs> origins date back to 1907, when Carnick Oli merged with the Shell Transport and Trading Company to create Royal Dutch Shell. And that name, too, will go as part of the revamp. Instead, the company will simply be known as Shell PLC. Does, does this also mean? Does this also mean you have to take away the the, the color orange out of their logo or not? No, because it's a shell. It's not orange. It's red and yellow. It's a okay. shell. I think that's fine. I don't think there's any uh, no patriotism there. Yeah. And you know, Shell has actually been a hundred percent British company since two thousand and five. Actually, it was then incorporated in the UK with Dutch tax residents and a dual share structure. So, um, you know. In a way, the fuss is a bit like just losing the headquarters, yeah. but uh, it's already been a done deal. So, so it's Dutch, really says... so Dutch presence is really just a shell company, you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, it employs an awful lot of people here yeah, still. But, um, shell says it's proud of its Anglo-Dutch heritage and it will continue to be a significant employer with a major presence in the Netherlands. 
but the loss of the headquarters coming so soon after Unilever also voted to move to London is really a bit of a slap in the face to the country. Yeah, uh, and especially, of course, to Mark Rutter, who's uh, been such a champion of Dutch business um, and wants to scrap the dividend tax at a cost of £1.9 to keep these companies on board. And uh, that's all kind of uh, yeah, uh, fallen a bit by the wayside. So what's the government said? Well, actually, it seems to, in public at least, have been taken by surprise. Uh, Economic Affairs uh, Minister Steph Block's initial public reaction was one of deep regret, and the government, he said, had been unpleasantly surprised by the news. He then went on to say that the government is in talks with Shell about the consequences for jobs, crucial investment and sustainability. Employers organisation VNO Enseve, to it, it's also unhappy. It's described the move as an enormous bloodletting for the Netherlands and that it hoped a solution would be found to keep the company. That, of course, appears to be unlikely. So uh, what is the bottom line? Well, no one's really come out and said it in really concrete terms. But of course, the Netherlands decision, as, as Gordon already mentioned, not to phase out the tax on dividends is probably the deciding factor yeah. for not, in not opting for Britain because there is no tax on dividends in Britain. So simplifying the structure and keeping the headquarters in The Hague was not really an option because all the foreign shareholders would have to pay dividend tax in the Netherlands. And that's what Ben von Beerden, uh, Shell's, uh, Shell's chief executive, said in an interview with the Financiële Dagblad. Today, we no longer have the luxury of saying to shareholders, you know what, this is easier for us, too bad for you. That's what he said. We have enough problems in the sector, we cannot afford to upset shareholders. And the move will, of course, cost the Dutch Treasury millions of euros. Yeah, and the dividend tax uh, immediately became part of the debate again, uh, because uh, I, I believe it was um, St- uh, Steph Block himself who sort of uh, went around the Hague and asking if uh, if we uh, if it wasn't an idea to to scrap the dividend tax after all, um, and uh, yeah, a lot of people were outraged by that. They thought this is a closed chapter. We're not going to bring that back again, and I'm happy that we are not going to do that anymore. No, and nor, nor is there any real support for the Groenlinks idea of making companies pay a punishment fee when they do leave having benefited from Dutch tax status for, for some years. That also seems to have died a bit of a death as well. Yeah, it's, uh, Shell isn't the only uh, departure that we have seen this week, right? Uh, because, no, uh, so we've seen a fair of the walrus because it's left. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's now left Dutch waters after, was it three months of swimming around the Dutch I think coast? So. Uh, she, yeah. We heard the news that she's now left uh, for the UK as well. Um, so, yeah, everyone seems to be deserting. Also, uh, I believe um, uh, Mepal, uh, which is the company that makes lunchboxes in the Netherlands. If you have children at school, you must certainly send them with their sandwiches uh, in, a, uh, yeah, in, in a Mepal container. That's also been bought out by uh, British uh, venture capitalists, I think. So This wasn't promised how Brexit <laughs> would look like. I know. Yes, it's not the Brexit we were promised. Uh, yeah. yeah, but coming back to Shell, it's not exactly a popular company uh, at the moment, is it, Robin? So do you think that was uh, part of uh, the problem? Well, von Burton said that the negative sentiment, so I love the couch, the way they put these things, the negative sentiment, sentiment towards Shell and other big companies hadn't had a role in the decision. But he did say he was disappointed in the lack of national pride and recognition for the advances that the company has been making. But he did say there was no link to the recent court case in which Shell was ordered to cut its carbon dioxide emissions more quickly than it planned. And of course, shareholders have also been raising their voices. Dutch civil service pension fund APB said last month it would no longer invest in fossil fuels. 
In fact, Shell's facing pressure to change its strategy on several fronts. Earlier this year, about 30% of its shareholders backed a motion by the campaign group Follow This at the AGM, calling on the company to draw up a more ambitious plan to help meet the Paris Climate Agreements. Of course, Van Burden will now say that this will be easier to achieve because of the new structure. Mm. Well, at least nobody's uh, threatened to take him to a tribunal yet. Um, so. <laughs> this edition of the Dutch News Podcast is brought to you in association with MyDutchMortgage.online. Living in the Netherlands can be great, but it's not always cheap and property prices are rising fast. And life can get pretty hectic when you're trying to juggle house hunting with work and family. My Dutch Mortgage Online makes finding the right mortgage as convenient and affordable as possible. And it's all in plain English. With MyDutchMortgage.online, you can arrange your mortgage entirely online, in English, and in six simple steps. And we should also mention it's a no mortgage, no fee deal. Seriously? Yes, you pay a one-off low fixed fee of 1950 euros and only once they've helped you secure your mortgage. So there it is. Log on to MyDutchMortgage.online and start arranging your mortgage today. Shell, Unilever, Freer the Walrus and Lunchboxes may have fled across the sea, but there's one group of intelligent, talented and attractive people who won't desert <laughs> us in a hurry. I'm speaking, of course, about our lovely patrons. And this is the moment when we say thank you very much to all those people sponsoring the Dutch News podcast who keep us going and make it all worthwhile. If you're a patron, you also get the chance to ask us a question uh, at any time. Uh, we've got a question this week from uh, patron Eric Sherman, uh, who's asking about uh, the figures on vaccination rates. says, uh, I'm having difficulty deducing why these vaccination rates are reported so differently. Most news outlets report that the Netherlands has 85% of the community vaccinated, but uh, other sources like our world in data report 72 to 73%, but then that number goes up to 76% if you have those uh, include those who have had a single shot. So, uh, yeah, what's the real rate? Well, um, I, I kind of have uh, been keeping on top of this a little bit for, for Dutch news. There are kind of various figures around, but basically uh, 85%, which is a very widely cited figure, is the number of people over the age of 12 who've been vaccinated. So the number of people who are actually eligible for the vaccine, which is one figure you can measure you can use to decide how many people who can have a vaccine are getting it. Uh, but the number for the total population, which gives you, I think, a better idea of uh, what level of population immunity you have, uh, is, well, actually around about 69% have had uh, a full vaccine dose. But if you add in the people who've um, also had one shot with a vaccine recovery certificate, or sorry, with the COVID recovery certificate, then you get up to about so 73%. So I think that's why you have the mm. different figures. Oh, yeah. yeah, so uh, our world and data just uses uh, the percentage of the total population yeah. and the government and the percentage we always say is the number of people that are eligible for the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. that's what you see on NOS, that's why I see 85%. Uh, yeah. So, 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 yeah so the different figures are used for, by different people for different purposes. I saw the number jump by about 3 or 4% a couple of weeks ago and that was basically because they, they suddenly included the people who'd had uh, one dose plus, uh, plus recovery. Yeah, from mm. infections, so that, that kind of boosts the figure a little bit as well. And we got a message from uh, Nikki Liberus, a, a Greek patron who uh, clarified a little bit uh, for us what we were talking about last week. That was when uh, the Greek prime minister called Magrutta the prime minister of the underworld in an Instagram post. It, it was a post in Greek, and if you press yeah. the translation button, then it uh, uh, translated into the prime minister of the underworld. Yeah. So we thought there's probably some error in translation here, but uh, uh, we got a little bit of uh, clarification here. Uh, Kato Chorus in Greek is literally translated as underlands. And 
and uh, she assumes that the underworld was poetic license from the Instagram translation services, but it is indeed super funny. Even <laughs> funnier is that the Greek word for underworld, hypokosmos, 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 something like that, is an umbrella term for the criminal world, mm. the dodgy <laughs> characters. So I think that you can uh, pick and choose which pun you prefer. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of clarification here, a little bit of Greek uh, uh, language lessons uh, from our patron. Yeah, very nice. Thank you very much for that uh, input, Nikki. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast and have your questions answered or just uh, give us some uh, enlightening feedback, uh, they don't have to be about <laughs> coronavirus. Uh, but they probably or, will be. Or the underworld. Or the underworld, <laughs> yeah. You can go to www.patreon.com That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. Princess Amalia, the eldest daughter of King Willem-Alexander, will turn 18 next month, and that means that she will be at the age at which she could become queen. Uh, for that occasion, a book about her was written by actress, comedian, and writer of praise songs for lunatic pollsters, <laughs> Claudia de Bray, uh, based on six interviews she did with the crown princess at Huis den Bosch Palace. Yeah, there was a little bit of opeth about this book, because a similar thing was done when uh, Willem-Alexander became 18, and uh, Beatrix, and then uh, they asked yeah, very serious as a highly esteemed journalist to do this and Claudia Bray is not really uh, of the same caliber so it would it raised a lot of eyebrows but uh, I think in the end uh, she did a pretty good job uh, but we will come to that yeah apart from the six interviews they also had frequent mail and whatsapp contacts uh, and it is the first time the princess of orange speaks so openly about her life which was mostly shielded from uh, public eyes uh, until now uh, Amalia says in the book she is planning to dedicate her life to the Netherlands she came to terms with the fact she would be queen when she was 14 uh, and when she told her father uh, that she had accepted her fate he laughed saying that it had taken him much longer than that asked about her future role she said she hoped she would be able to prevent difficult situations by diplomacy and that she wouldn't be able to sign bills into law that would take away human rights such as the freedom of expression so good news uh, for Thierry Baudet and the <laughs> and then. exactly yeah yeah and uh, yes uh, Claudia Bray also asked her what she would do if the monarchy was a abolished and Amalia said really down to earth uh, you were very nuchter she said I, I would just continue with my life and she would accept that and uh, uh, the bride characterizes Amalia in the book as serious focused ambitious and as a perfectionist uh, the princess was also open about her mental health she said she regularly talked uh, to psychologists when she was younger and she still does whenever she feels she needs to uh, and when she turns 18, Amalia has a right to an annual allowance of 1.6 million euro, but she renounced the money earlier this year in a handwritten letter to the Prime Minister um, stating that an 18-year-old student doesn't need that kind of money, which wasn't a perfect PR moment, I think, and uh, yeah. whoever is advising her should uh, move to the Health Ministry, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. They, should, they should probably get the 1.6 million euros as well as a, <laughs> as a bonus. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think um, uh, the impression that she gives in this book is um, is one of someone that has a really uh, a high sense of duty. And, um, yeah, I feel confident that she will become a good queen after after this book. So They weren't actually going to let her seem any other way, were they? No, um, exactly. Let's be honest no. about yeah, yeah. it. No, her right. sister, her sister was in the news this week, too. I'm the one who's at uh, Atlantic College in Wales. She was... What caught. did she do now? Yeah, she was caught in a photograph that the school put on uh, on social media, taking part in a climate demonstration. 
Ah, well, okay. Yeah, so no burlesque party because that was uh, uh, that's that was a little scandal two weeks ago. But uh, the, her sister seems seems to be the one that's going to cause all the drama yeah. in the coming years. I think, yeah. yeah which is also some which is also something that we need, right? We need to exactly. have some uh, some entertainment value. You've got to give the second one the chance to let off steam because the second one, if something happens to the first one, is going to have to be Queen anyway. Who'd always thought I'm never going to have to do be Queen. I can be like my uncle run businesses and what have you and you know that kind of stuff instead you know she could end up so she's got to she's got to go wild yeah and i also love that um it was revealed in the book that amalia would often uh, use it as a threat right the, the the line of succession that she would say to her sisters if you won't do that i will uh, i will uh, uh, renounce my claim to the throne and you will have to become queen and uh, stuff like that yeah i thought it was going to be the other way i thought she's going to say you know, she's the one person who can actually say you know if, if, when i'm queen this will be all, all be different <laughs> yeah that, that's also right yeah in sports news, the Dutch men's football team have qualified for the World Cup for the first time in eight years. And just like in 2014, they'll be coached by Louis van Gaal. Van Gaal had to watch the final match against Norway from the stands, in a wheelchair, after he broke his hip while parking his bike after a training session on Sunday. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh because he's actually in quite a lot of pain, he said, but no, uh, so, so, so we wish him well. But it is quite funny. I'm just laughing <laughs> at the deal that it happened on a bike because exactly. that just everyone... seemed to be the most Dutch thing ever. Yeah. Or, or, well, falling off a bike is not that Dutch, but at least if you break something, then do it while cycling. Yeah, while parking his bike as well, I think. Oh, oh parking his bike. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, so it's Louis van Gaal in a bit of pain, so uh, I hope he gets well soon. He's up and about on his feet. The Dutch, uh, of course, um, tripped over their own feet a bit on Saturday when they should really have wrapped up qualifying, uh, but they let a two-goal lead slip against Montenegro, and uh, it was a two-all draw, and that meant they really, well, at least had to avoid defeat on Tuesday night uh, in a <laughs> deserted DeKalb Stadium, and this match really got the crowd it deserved. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah. It took 87 minutes for Stefan Bergwijn to break the deadlock, and then Memphis Depay slotted in a second one for his 17th international goal this year uh, in injury time, and that is a record for a Dutch player in one calendar year i wasn't watching the game because i don't care about football but i love the sort of contrast between the mood on twitter before that first goal yeah. and after that when everybody was you know everybody was was complaining and hating and you know spreading uh, spreading all the negativity on the internet and then after the game ended and uh, the netherlands qualified for the world cup then it sort of turned into a uh, euphoric mood which which seemed really out of touch with what happened yeah. before yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, pretty funny to see. Von Gaal has got his work cut out for him, hasn't he, Gordon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this, it, it, that was a game with a lot to be negative about, to be to be fair to those people. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 I think uh, the Netherlands do not look like a team that's going to uh, pull up too many trees in Qatar, uh, which is lucky because there aren't many trees in Qatar. It's a desert. But, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> the squad just doesn't look um, really like it's got uh, the kind of quality or the depth um, to uh, really make an impact on the world stage. But they're there, and I think that's the main thing. They've got to the World Cup after the disaster of four years ago. Van Gaal's one of those managers who's, who's got a real, he's got so much experience and he's got the ability to kind of uh, craft a team out of um, very mediocre parts. I mean, he managed it <laughs> eight years ago when they, yeah. they had a couple of star players. Obviously, they had Robin, they had um, Snyder, but uh, they had to they end up playing Dirk Kout as a makeshift right back and he did brilliantly. So uh, you know, yeah. if anyone can do it, Van Gaal can. He's the Johan Remkes of football. Yeah. And this week we're going to Qatar as well and there is someone with a better chance to become world champion there. Yeah, uh, Max Verstappen. 
Uh, although his lead in the drivers' championships is down to 14 points uh, after Lewis Hamilton won the Brazilian Grand Prix last weekend, uh, plenty of controversy in this race as well. Uh, yeah. Started when Mercedes uh, Lewis Hamilton's team chose to take a five-point grid penalty uh, by fitting a new engine, uh, but that engine then roared. And Hamilton uh, was uh, very impressive in qualifying. Then he was disqualified uh, because of a very minor technical infringement on his rear wing. Verstappen was seen examining his rival's car in the paddock. He was slapped with a 50,000 euro fine for that. He wasn't too contrite about it, Verstappen. He said, I hope they have a nice meal with lots of wine with all that money. Will they spend it on women as well or just the wine? Uh, who, well, being sports administrators, uh, I don't know what they're not spending it on. Uh, they'll keep all the bonnets for sure. Uh, Hamilton then started from the back of the field for the sprint race. Uh, he worked his way up to fifth. Then he took the five-place penalty, so he started from 10th and then overtook everybody again, uh, passing for Sapple with 12 laps to go and winning the race. Lots of talk as well about an incident 10 laps earlier, when Hamilton tried to yeah. pass Verstappen, but Verstappen blocked the way and was accused of running him off the track, and Mercedes have taken that uh, to, or they've appealed to the stewards, asked him to look at it again, and Verstappen could be docked points if he's found to have infringed, and uh, it's Friday, so we'll, fi- we'll, we'll know the result of that investigation later on today. Yeah, I feel like he probably should have been penalised for that, because I think it was clear that he uh, pushed uh, Hamilton off the track, but uh, yeah, for some reason the, the stewards back then... Uh, decided to let it go but uh, yeah well of course the rivalry between the two is 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 doing wonders for formula one everybody loves yeah. it you know we yeah. finally got a soap opera rather than all those boring yeah. drivers who just win races yeah and it was a soap opera last weekend because with all these disqualifications and this grid penalties and this touching of the rear wing and yeah it was uh, very fun to to watch and to follow and uh, to uh, to to uh, see all the dramatic turns and yeah. Uh, yeah we still have three three races to go three races i think to go yes yeah, so Qatar this weekend and um, yeah there's a lot of politics and a lot of chatter now isn't there and uh, red bull are saying how can mercedes suddenly be so fast in one race um uh, yeah and uh, mercedes kind of saying that they that they've been appallingly treated by the authorities, even though the five-point grid penalty was was a choice by them, they knew yeah. if it's a new engine that they would be that they would have to start five places further behind. But they kind of yeah. wrapped that all up in all the other injustices of the weekend and saying, yeah. you know, playing the victim a bit. Yeah, a lot of uh, off-track drama. It's like uh, it's like a Greek drama when everything happens off stage. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. So maybe the prime minister of the underworld will, will, have, a, will have a role <laughs> as well. Gordon, going back to football, though, there's been a development in the uh, case against Quincy uh, Promes. Yeah, Quincy Promes, the uh, former Ajax striker, he's uh, been charged uh, with attempted murder, the Public Prosecution Service said on Thursday. Uh, Promes was at a family party last July uh, where one of his nephews was stabbed in the knee. Uh, the forward was playing for Ajax at the time and was questioned by police as a suspect. Uh, I think he even spent a couple of nights in the cells. He left Amsterdam uh, for his former club, Spartak Moscow, in February, and he was in the Dutch squad for Euro 2020. And the investigation has been going on through all this time. His lawyer says he was not involved in the incident and he wasn't even at the party at the time it happened. But he does face a sentence of up to 42 months uh, if a court uh, finds him guilty. Seems very strange, really. I mean, to take so long when you've got an eyewitness, the person who was actually stabbed in the knee, who apparently took a few months to come forward and say his his cousin or his uncle had done it. Yeah, that was part of it, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he, he didn't uh, uh, file a formal police complaint straight away, but nevertheless. And the fact that he had promised just kind of carried on playing and was picked for the squad, there's no kind of issue about whether he should be left out of the team for a bit. And of course, he also left on a big money transfer to Russia, which I guess is, makes it harder for the uh, authorities to investigate um, uh, the accusations against him. Will it have any impact on Ajax if he, if he gets put in 
prison. Yeah, it will certainly have an impact on the um, uh, on the national team because yeah. uh, you know, if, if he's in prison, he's not eligible to play. So we will have to see. Another thing we'll have to wait and see a little bit is what happens at uh, New Year, if I can bring it back to my favourite subject of fireworks. <laughs> uh, because the mayors of the 25 regional safety boards have written to the government urging it to bring in a nationwide ban on fireworks during the New Year celebrations, or should I say firework frenzy, which is the best way of describing it. <laughs> Every year, of course, hundreds of people are taken to hospital and given the soaring number of coronavirus cases, the mayors have said this will put unfair pressure on the healthcare system and uh, they've asked uh, Ferd Krapahaus, the uh, Justice Minister, to have a, have a think. Uh, in addition, the mayors have said that the contact between large groups of people must be restricted because of the risk of spreading the virus. Amsterdam has already decided to ban fireworks and it's even abandoned plans for council-funded shows on the Museum Plain and in several other districts. Other cities are still deciding what to do. But uh, in the meantime, the mayors have said, you know, we want a ban. So could you remind us uh, what happened last year? What was done uh, against the fireworks then? Well, last year, fireworks were banned totally. Uh, we were in a lockdown then. And there were no fireworks, but you probably didn't realise it because there were massive amounts of fireworks, of yeah. course, everywhere. And it just sort of proceeded in Amsterdam. It seemed pretty as normal. Uh, nevertheless, the number of people who were taken to hospital it's usually around a thousand people every year, was down by about 70%. Fewer cars were set on fire. There were fewer fires in general. But this might well be also to do with the fact they also banned some of the larger, more powerful fireworks last year, which may have had an impact too. But um, certainly I always find it fascinating and it's the same every year on, on New Year's Day. You start out with the police going... Yes, it was a relatively peaceful New Year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the figures come in and you're going, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. How many yeah. arrests? How many cars burnt down? And it often seems to happen in small towns and villages. There seems to be more mayhem, actually, than, than in the big cities. Yeah, there are certain suburbs as well. I mean, always up in Downdorp, uh, the, the, the yeah. things set on fire and, uh, you know, um, kiosks burnt down, I think, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's it just seems to me the, the, the craziest thing to have one day in the year or actually a period of the day, a couple of hours, where we allow people under the influence, usually uh, under the influence of alcohol, to walk around the, the streets with bombs in their yeah. hands and setting them on fire. I mean, yeah. it's just so crazy that we allow that. And even especially if you look at how much damage it, it, it causes every year and uh, not only, uh, you know, on people, but also on property and how many cars are set on fire and how many other stuff we, we, we see, uh, uh, you know, going up in smoke. It just seems so weird. And I just don't understand what the fun of it is. I mean, uh, if you look at a professional fireworks show, it's always nice. It's always spectacular. But that pathetic stuff that people buy and set on fire, I mean, it's just nothing compared to, uh, to, to, to what a real fireworks show could be. And I think we should just hire a fireworks show in every municipality or whatever and then just, just enjoy that. Paul, you're not going to tell me you never, ever set off fireworks when you were a kid. Come on. I did. Um, Rotjes. Yeah, yeah. Nasty little firecrackers. What I and my uh, neighbor uh, would do, uh, we, my buurjongen, we would uh, dug trenches and put toy uh, soldiers in it and then uh, play um, the Battle of Ypres, uh, for example, with it. But that's a different story. 
<laughs> you are kidding me. No, 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 we did that. Um, ah, so you've kind of got, you've got sort of a guilt feeling, which is why they have to be banned now then for your, yeah. for your outrageous um, behaviour as a boy. I'm still, uh, I'm still talking to Amalia's psychiatrist about that, so I'm not sure yet. <laughs> uh, because last year when the fireworks were banned, it uh, prompted a, a sudden a surge of interest in uh, Kabitskiten, didn't it? Which is yeah. uh, this, this, this mad practice they have up in the north, up in uh, the badlands of Deventer and Kroninga, uh, where basically <laughs> you, get a, you get a milk churn and you fill it with this Kabit. I don't even know what Kabit is in English, but uh, it's kind of like some chemical compound that you set fire to and it blows the lid off the milk churn. Yeah, death by milk churn, I, uh, I like to call that one. Although it doesn't <laughs> usually kill people, but it has been known to. It's a carbide in English. Carbide. C- calcium carbide. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, including that uh, very long uh, Twitter thread with uh, all the uh, uh, local party logos. Yeah, we'll definitely include that. Yes, you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to to uh, Gordon Derek and Robin Pasco when we'll be back next week. We should cut this out. We should cut that out. Yes, yeah. I think we will. <laughs> this is how I feel though. I don't want the hate mail. <laughs>